2: Welcome to the Rotowire NFL Podcast. I am your host, John McCackney, joined as always by Mario Puig. It is Thursday, March 25th. We are well into free agency and we're also into full swing of draft season. We got pro day numbers pouring in left and right. A lot of notable players uh, working out at their respective colleges putting down their times, uh, getting their measurables, all that good stuff. So a ton to get to today. So we're going to get into some pro day, notable stuff. And we're also going to get into some notable free agent signings that have occurred over the last week or so since Mario and I last chatted on here. But Mario, I want to get things started. We got two receivers that I, I think have drawn the most attention in the NFL draft circles this week for their respective pro days, and both of them very impressive players, but very polarizing. Um, a lot of sort of there's elements where people just want to crap on draft Twitter, basically for, for pointing out things like, you know, it's unprecedented for a receiver to have a ton of success at the NFL level if they weigh less than 175 pounds, or if they if they are shorter than five foot eight. But you're apparently just a, a nerd if, if you think that and, and uh, you need to uh, get disconnected from your mom's Internet in the basement and, and uh, go outside, that sort of thing, even though you're just pointing out empirical facts. So I want to get things started with Devonte Smith, the guy who, you know, Alabama Heisman Trophy winner, all that good stuff. Twenty three touchdowns this past season, completely dominant. Um, definitely didn't hurt that uh, Jalen Waddle went out during the season, but nonetheless, he knew that the target was on his back. All season long and was able to deliver dominant performance throughout this season. Was totally great in 2019 as well when they had Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs um, on top of that as well. But chose not to work out at least at Alabama's first pro day. They they have a second one coming up on the 30th, so that will be uh, this upcoming Tuesday. But the big thing coming out of Alabama, coming out of Tuscaloosa, when it comes to Smith, is the fact that he checked in at 170 pounds. And the only uh, workout or uh, measurables that he was going to put down was uh, verifying his weight for the scouts. So there, there was no 40, no bench, no vertical, broad jump, how uh, any number of tests. He wasn't doing them, at least that, that first time around. We don't know if he's going to do them on Tuesday either, but... Knowing what we know about him, we knew that he was skinny Uh, like that. I mean, he was listed at at 175 uh, during his last season at Alabama. So this isn't some sort of shocking revelation. Um, The fact that he is checking in at, at what is empirically kind of a problematic weight for an NFL receiver and not putting any testing on top of it, like, what are your thoughts on him right now and, and these decisions? And, and uh, you know, what, what does this all mean uh, when you're grading Devontae Smith right now?
1: Well, I think it's a fair concern. I don't know if it's enough of a concern to write him off as a prospect. And for some of the people who raise that criticism, they're not even doing that. They're more so saying, I don't want to pick him in the first round of a rookie draft or whatever, or the first round of the the real NFL draft. And I can understand it. I think there's there's enough obvious reason for concern there. It's like you look at Devontae Smith, he's built like a point guard. He's not built like a football player at any particular position. Uh, even kickers tend to be, you know, fatter than that at least if they need to be. <laughs> so you just don't really see a guy who looks like him on an actual football field or an NFL football field anyway. So it's, it's understanding. And I can imagine some people maybe remembering a receiver like Todd Pinkston or somebody like a, a previous skinny receiver who – he wasn't very good, and I can imagine people saying, like, oh, that's why he was sucked. He was too skinny, and I don't really think it was really that, and I think overall, Devontae Smith was dominant enough that, assuming he doesn't test uniquely poorly, there's not so much a reason to write him off as much as there's just cause for ranking him behind Uh, At least in my case, I rank him behind Jamar Chase and Jalen Waddle, and I have all along. And I'm open to ranking him lower than that. Like, I know a lot of people are going to prefer, like, Rashad Bateman. I guess is the most popular in kind of, like, draft Twitter. And uh, I personally would put Terrace Marshall ahead of Rashad Bateman, so Terrace Marshall would be my next bet to to be the next receiver in line. I wouldn't – I don't don't know if I would recommend it at this point, but I, I definitely wouldn't argue against somebody putting Kyle Pitts uh, a tight end ahead of Devonte Smith in their, their draft order. So if, if the skinniness is something that someone says should t- not let Smith be in their top five for rookie rankings, that's a measured enough criticism. I get it. I'm not really going to like argue with someone about that, but I think if someone specifically says that Devonte Smith is going to go the way of a Paul Richardson or a DD Westbrook or whatever other skinny, but not so great receiver they have in mind, I think that's a little bit too much of a reach. Like, I think to say to say that specific level of condemnation is just as much of a reach as the Devontae Smith super fans who are like, "Oh no, he's just Marv. He, he is simply the next Marvin Harrison. He will simply be Marvin Harrison. Uh, you know, like the the last outlier uh, of that magnitude." So both of those are a little bit, I think, um, desperate of comparisons. I think it's more likely that Devontae Smith is kind of just the first of his type. And we don't really know what that means, or at least I don't really have a, a super confident idea, but I, I think he's good. I just can't really tell. Uh, like, I'm definitely not open to the idea of ranking him ahead of Jamar Chase, which I know that Lance Zierlein ranked Devonte Smith as his number one receiver this year, and some other people are going to as well that are, you know, prominent NFL media, prominent NFL front office types. But Jamar Chase – had a similar level of dominance at a younger age at a frame nearly 40 pounds heavier so for me that's not a real that's not a serious question and i no. prefer jalen waddle because he's faster at about 10 pounds heavier and a couple inches shorter so that that's that's how i uh, put it all into a picture i guess it's 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 like a valid concern but it's the kind of concern that just rules him out of the, the top overall receiver distinction. And I could see why someone would lower him as far as like five, I guess. But any lower seems a little too aggressive to me.
2: Right. Yeah. I think you, you have that right, where it, it opens the door that he could slide back in your rankings a little bit, and it closes the door on him cracking the top two. Uh, you know, I think that it is pretty ironclad, like you were saying, with Jamar Chase, with Jalen that that at this point, you know, that with how unprecedented... A major success story from Devontae Smith would be given those physical measurables. I think it it makes all the sense in the world to use that as a tiebreaker against him, put him at at best third in the pecking order. And then, like you said, you know, you you have a, a total unicorn in the other way in Kyle Pitts where you don't really see guys as big as him. Uh, move as fast as him and, and um, you know th- there was some uh, points out on, on Twitter today that you know Kyle Trask kind of threw him closed a, f- a fair amount you know so Pitts's uh, last season could have been even crazier really all all things considered so um, you know putting him inside your top five
1: that I guess would I would make put sense. Pitts ahead of uh, Devontae Smith at this point and I could even see putting him ahead of like Everybody, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, he's he he just ran also like a, about a four five flat or a high force four or something like that. So that that guy's gonna be really good. And I don't have a comp in mind exactly. All I really know is he's he's got to be at least the best tight end prospect since Jermaine Gresham. And it's uh it's also possible that he's the first of his type too. Like we yeah. I don't really remember a player like him. So uh, part of part of the reality too at receiver is that it's a really deep class. And the best dynasty picks are going to look a lot different after the draft than they do right now. Like there's a, particularly with guys like even Jamar Chase, but uh, also Devonte Smith, it's, I guess not, not so much the Giants at this point. Um, but if he just goes to a crap team or like a, a team with a bad quarterback, then we're not even really – so fixated on the talent question anymore we're just like oh he's he's kind of screwed and you can you can make a case for a guy like AJ Brown especially that you should just always go for talent over over situation no matter what but it's easier said than done and, and good players have been held back by bad teams around them before and if, if Devontae Smith goes to the wrong team then he'll be the wrong choice right now and there's no way for us to know for sure so there is no depth at tight end on the other hand so if you take Kyle Pitts uh, you're obviously passing on whatever those Top receivers are, but you're also in a good spot to get like at the very least like Amon Ross, St. Brown, or like Rashad Bateman, and maybe even Terrace Marshall in some leagues. Yeah. So uh, there's no there's no second, uh, especially no second high upside option. Maybe Brevin Jordan, but I don't think even yet in his best case scenario he can compare to what Pitts is likely to be as a mid range outcome.
2: No, I, I don't think so either. So I think you have that right as far as how you might want to approach your rookie drafts. Um, in in dynasty leagues, that, that sort of thing. Um, let's get on over to the other very notable receiver from this week. Uh, that, of course, w- would be Rondell Moore out of Purdue. And this is a this is a tricky one. This one kind of kind of stinks because um, in a way, like Rondale Moore was like a total college football darling. Like his first game at at Purdue, well, even before that, he was squatting 600 pounds, like setting Purdue weight room records as this little freshman. You're like, holy crap, all right, this guy's different. He comes out against Northwestern, torches them in the return game as a pass catcher, all that good stuff. And it carries on, uh, memorably destroys Ohio state. Um, that one of the, like the most fun upsets I've seen in recent years. And he's like the big driving force behind it. So he totally captured the, like, the, the attention of, of, at least one sliver of college football nation, I, I think in, in his freshman season in 2018. Oh, yeah, and unfortunately the rest of his career just didn't really go that well and it, it wasn't really that he was a bad performer when he was on the field it was just the question was that he wasn't on the field like he was injured for most of his sophomore year I think he only played it like two or three games and then he played this year but was also banged up once again so then he comes out this week and and everyone again you know because he's such a fun player to watch it wasn't surprising that he was at, that his athletic testing was as dominant um, as, it, as a proved out to be but as a to borrow a line from you don't count it twice like this was what we were kind of expecting out of rondale moore um as an athlete like we knew that he had the potential to to be that that high four two low four three in the speed we knew we could totally jump out of the gym i mean the 42 inch vertical like I, i can't say that i was specifically expecting that but i mean I can't say that I'm surprised um, either. And if you're following along with with some of his like training uh, for for his pro day, you saw him jumping over 40 inches earlier in this winter. So that that, again, wasn't that shocking. But the questions still remain one. He's not that durable. and we, we there's no way to test that one way or the other. And then two, he's small. And and he's even smaller than we thought. Uh, we I think that there is a, a sense around Draft Twitter and everybody else that you know maybe Rondell Moore is like five nine, maybe like a shade under. That's what but, he was listed at, yeah. But then then you know the the testing or the weigh-in happens, and lo and behold he's he's not just like a hair under 58 like he's a he's a real 57 like right yeah. on right at 57 flat which again you know similar in a different way but but similar to Devontae Smith where there's just not a lot of precedent of success stories of guys at that weight so you know i think that there's been a pushback like oh if you're writing him off because he's too short like you you're just not thinking hard enough like you, you he's a guy that you just get the ball in space and it works when you start to like go with the get the ball in space argument to for a guy, I already start to feel very suspect about the ground that you're standing on because we've seen those cases time after time after time, the offensive weapon types time after time, and they often don't pan out. So again, I love Rondell Moore, and I'm rooting for him, and I hope that he makes this video clip look pretty stupid. But man, I, I don't think that if you're an NFL team, and you have, you know, your, your job on the line and you're picking in the late 20s. Taking that pick on on a guy with basically Jakeem Grant, uh, Andrew Hawkins as like b- best case scenario outcomes, at least as far as we know. That scares the hell out of me, man.
1: Yeah. Andrew Hawkins is a good call. I forgot about him. I guess he wasn't much of a prospect is why he evaded he my thinking. But, yeah, it's it's only really. Those two, Jakeem Grant and Andrew Hawkins and like Craig Yeast and uh, I don't know, it might have been somebody else back back at some point. I think Jakeem Grant was actually like five, six and three fourths or something like that. And uh, the good the good thing for Moore's prospects is that none of his comps are guys who uh, were anywhere near as productive as him in college and they didn't test as well. Like Jakeem Grant's probably the one who tested best out of that group. And he ran like a four, three, seven kind of thing, something like that. So it's, 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 I think a lot like the Devonte Smith thing for me and that I, I totally get the concern. And in a class that this is deep, what do you got guys in that similar range, like Amon Ross, St. Brown and Rashad Bateman. I, I I can't really fault anyone for going with them instead especially when you consider it's not just that Rondell Moore was 5'7". It's that he wasn't really used downfield at all at Purdue. He was pretty much just playing underneath and outside. And uh, there's a little bit in the middle of the field, in the backfield, all underneath. So he never really went downfield. And I feel like they've used David Bell downfield more than him. So it doesn't seem like it's entirely due to the structure of the offense. Um, but for all we know, he could have had his route tree expanded in those games that he missed if he had played them. You know, So it's, it's a tough one for me to call when there's so much that could have happened in that time range that could have changed our opinion that didn't have a chance to happen. So I'm kind of agnostic on it, but I think that he's, he's not really comparable to any of the worst case scenarios that we have in mind. Like, like Greg Dorch, I guess is another one, but uh, he doesn't really have that much in common with any of those guys, aside from being under 58 And it's, it's, it, it's, it's tough to, in cases like that, because it's, it's, it's one thing to say it's unprecedented for a player of a certain type to succeed. And it's another to say, there's a precedent for them to fail. And I think at the at the moment for both Devante Smith and Rondell Moore, it might be technically true to say it's unprecedented for a player like them to succeed, but it's also technically true to say it's unprecedented for either of them to fail because we just haven't seen the the, the test, uh, the case study yet. So for, for his freshman year, Rondell Moore was, Barely above baseline on that Purdue offense, but it's not something that I would hold against them the way I would he normally was baseline. hold baseline. Right. Yeah. There wasn't really a second player and the, the volume that he took up was, was so ridiculous that it, it definitely is, is the more pertinent detail to me. So running a four-two-two-nine two nine or whatever, having the 42 inch vertical, like you said, it's not grounds for raising him because if he had run a four three five and had like a thirty seven inch vertical, we'd be talking about him in like the second third round turn instead of the top forty or something. So uh, he all he did with that pro day was it, is avoid I think the scenario of falling into the third round. But uh, yeah, it's it's a it's just really tough to know because I guess if he if he works out, he would look a little bit like Tyreek Hill or something like that. But even Tyreek is like five eight. 185 something like yeah, that's what he was at his pro day anyway and he's basically the fastest player of all time so right. that's a pretty high bar to clear and and i know that technically tyreek ran a similar 40 time but it's it's one of those things to me it's like i'm guessing if he's not working at west alabama or whatever he was at the time maybe he's pushing for john ross's number something like that uh whereas obviously rondale's been track fluent for a very long time uh, and had produced facilities to work with. So I, I don't think he's likely to be as fast on the field as Tyreek. And even if he is, he's an inch shorter. So there's there's uncertainty as far as how you use him and, and what the theory of him is supposed to be. But in the meantime, um, a guy a guy is athletic and, and hardworking as he must be and, and produced as early as he did the way he did. It's it's tough for me to rule him out and I, I I wouldn't really take a side either way. If people are big fans of his, I, I can see why. If they're if they're really skeptical, I don't quite share the skepticism, but I, I can't really tell anyone they're they're wrong for it exactly. I I'm just like
2: I'm more reluctantly skeptical, I think because it Yeah, that's and- fair. I'm like a huge Rondale fan, like I have been, you know, since he got to Purdue and, and you know, I follow recruiting and everything. He was a, a really great pull out of the state of Kentucky and, you know, had all these other offers. And it kind of surprised some people that he went to Purdue o- over some other spots. I think he had s- some big 12 offers. Um, I guess but, Taylor yeah. Gabriel is another one he might be. But, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, it's, it's just all these guys that are like him never reached the heights that he did, you know. So it's like maybe he's just going to be the first one.
2: Yes. I, and, and I hope he is. Um, and I hope that he I just like I don't know what his application is going to be at, at the NFL level. And can't, because he's not there isn't a good NFL offense that's going to feed him a 35 percent target share. I mean, basically no NFL offense do, leans on one guy that much. But, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever the pro not- equivalent would be.
1: Yeah, he might not be able to get a more than like 800 snaps in a year just because he's not going to be the guy that they want blocking the 6one 210-pound outside corner. So right. on some run plays, he's just he's he's only going to be out there for run plays if he's doing like jet sweep fakes. Yep. Like he's not going to be able to block, or you know, he's not going to be able to block guys who are, you know, five inches taller and 40 pounds heavier than him. Okay, so we we need the Matt Canada offense somewhere. Yeah, we just we, you need slot reps probably.
2: Yeah, so uh, again, it, it, that that pairs down his application, his snap volume a, a little bit. Um, again, I, I think that his best con- case scenario is absolutely, you know, a, a total difference maker. You know, a Tyreek Hill light, uh, I think, it is a fine enough comparison. But but yeah, again, I, I think that there's enough counting against him, be it the durability, be it the size, and and, and other precedents to where. I think it's totally fair to to have some concerns. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, let's get to a couple other pro days from from around the nation. Uh, we've been Kylan Hill guys for a while. He had his workout. What was it? Uh, Wednesday. Yes, sir. So he weighs in at, at 5'10", 214, so that nice, uh, dense frame, that the type of frame that you could see him, you know, you could put 200, 250 carries on that you know, without too much problem in, in the NFL, goes out, runs in, in the low four fives, which I think is a great time for a guy um, uh, with that type of build, and, and I think it lines up pretty well with, with his production, his yards per carry, that, that sort of thing during his time at Miss State, so... All, and it, good vertical jump, 36 inches, uh, the, strong on the bench, 22 reps there. So everything looked good. I think that all, all things considered, you you got to give two thumbs up to, to that workout. And, and once again, um, you know, I don't know how long we have to keep saying it, but like Kylan Hill like needs to be in your discussion to, as a top five, maybe top three uh, running back in this
1: class. Yeah. So in Dynasty Leagues and in also Redraft, I guess we do have to keep draft capital in mind as much as I would wish that I could just draft everybody precisely how I rank them personally. I do have to keep in mind that uh, NFL teams might not be as high on Kylan Hill as I am. Like, I I don't even mean this as a slight to Javante Williams or anything, but I don't see really good argument to say that Javante Williams is better than Kylan Hill. Like I know they're different kinds of players, so that makes it more difficult yet. But if I say if I were to go on Twitter and say, Kylan Hill is as good as Javante Williams. I would probably get death threats or something. And it's just <laughs> there is a serious not that hive unreasonable. Out there. Yeah, the Javante Williams hive is ridiculous. This one, <laughs> like he's he's better, I think, than David Montgomery. So I don't think it's going to look as ridiculous in hindsight. But it's the same people. I know it's the same people, and yeah. in a few cases, I know. F- for sure that they're the same people, but it's, it's so funny to me to watch this happen like every year where it's like, I'm, I'm just getting it in fights with the same people over this. Sometimes it's not even the same things, but it's like always the same people. And it's, it's pretty interesting. But uh, like, I think Javante Williams is, is in this category of prospect where it's like, he's a totally good day two pick. I don't really, I don't really think much more about it. I think it's like, he's totally good. Not much reason to criticize, not much reason to get all worked up about it. He's a good day two pick. And that's how I feel about Kylan Hill. It's like they're both good day two picks. And I really think that if Kylan Hill had had a shot at that Miami defense last year, he could have put up 200 yards easy. It's no problem. It's that they quit, they didn't play. And in Javante Williams' numbers look a lot different if you just subtract that one game, you know, and, and Michael Carter, too, of course. So I, I just. It just—it just, it just irritates me how how so many people let their entire perspectives get dictated by these very, just arbitrarily small samples. You know, it's like if you if you go into this year believing that Javante Williams was a first-round pick. I take it. I respect that person much more than the people who didn't really have a belief about Javante Williams going into the year, and now are like, "Oh, he's the best. He's the best prospect. He's running back one." It's like, if he's running back one, do you at least feel silly for not having the slightest scent of that going into this year, or probably in a lot of cases before that Miami game? Mm. Like, there's there's so many people who who slammed that verdict in when it was like after the Miami game. It's like that's. It's like a preseason game. It wasn't real. So I, I think that Kylan Hill is, is like the victim of just kind of like a lot of arbitrary optics kind of scouting. And then certainly just like crowd uh, heard just thinking, you know, it's like people, people, th- these these people that I'm talking about that I'm always disagreeing with. They always believe the same things as all these other people who read the same sites that they do. And you can tell that their beliefs, like I know they believe what they're saying, but their beliefs aren't so much things that they came to as personal conclusions as much as it's just kind of like click behavior. And if their if their cool player of the the month had been Kylan Hill, they'd all be hyping Kylan Hill and they don't actually really think on their own. And I would say to those people, you should try to do that sometime. Like try to just think for yourself, because if you had looked at Kylan Hill's just objective work and looked at his tape, you wouldn't have been so surprised by his pro day. And now that we have these pro day numbers, there's no objective case against him. Like he's just he's got a totally clean profile. It's a really good scout like prospect profile that he had. Now I don't think he's going to be a star or anything, and it, it's a, it's a little difficult to figure out his exact comp. I think, but. I would pr- I would comp him mostly to Miles Sanders with with the the asterisk that he's a little slower and a lot more rugged. Like Miles mm-hmm. Sanders is good. I'm not saying he's he's like a fake running back or something, but he kind of plays like a flanker. Like he's not he's not really he's not really just like a dog in traffic, you know, like Kylan Hill is just, you know,
2: purity on the is, field. Like, is he what people wanted Keyshawn Vaughn to be?
1: So that one's tough to answer because I don't know what the hell anyone thought Keyshawn Vaughn was supposed to be. You know, I was like I thought he <laughs> well, was whatever and, is better than whatever the hell last yeah, year. Yeah, I, I don't know what people thought with that one. Like, <laughs> I I just don't like. I, I never even got a little bit on what they were thinking. I was just confused the whole time. Um, but if if people want him to be the next Keyshawn Vaughn, as in like a guy who goes in the third round, it might be pretty good. Yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. Aesthetically, he's not really like Keyshawn Vaughn. No. He's He's a lot more of like joystick kind of movements but it with Key, with Kyle Hill the cool thing about him is he 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 moves like the joystick movement and he's got 110% motor all the time and he converts velocity to anchor and anchor into change of direction/velocity slash velocity again seamlessly. He does that that one thing is really important for running in traffic and when you have a hot motor like him that that makes it that makes him I think actually a very high floor prospect. Like I'll be, I'll be really surprised if Kylan Hill can't earn reps as a rookie. Uh, the, the, the question still is what they think of him as a character, because um, <clears throat> granted I haven't listened to this Lance Sear or Dane Brugler pro- podcast or whatever. Just someone on t- Twitter told me that they were saying like there's character concerns about him. Uh, and that was kind of what preceded his stock lowering in, in the, the online dynasty community. So uh, if if that was said, they heard it from people who are actually in college football and in the NFL. Now I would say those people are pretty clearly Mike Leach and they shouldn't be taken seriously, but there's a lot of people in the NFL and college football who think exactly the same as Mike Leach more than who think the way I do about anything in particular. So Kylan Hill might suffer for his politics and for, for his beliefs and his, his uh, courage basically. Uh, so th- that is a possibility. Whereas like, you know, and and any, Anytime there's like a really talented player and an, who's a, a little bit of a, I don't know, what you call, like an indiv- individual, like a like a like a free spirit type, and then a second player who's just like a good soldier, the NFL it's always going to take the good soldier type, and that could be held against Kylan Hill, and, and it could put as much as two rounds between him and Javante Williams.
2: Hopefully that that doesn't end up being the case. Hopefully you know people come to their senses a little bit and, and again with 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 the workout and and I, I think kylan hill has good character i mean you know the the stuff that yeah. he was he was fighting oh, for cool. in, in mississippi this summer smart was, was guy, awesome too. yeah you absolutely Read his
1: interviews he's clearly a smart guy
2: yep so all the above with him like he, i think that he would be a very very strong day two pick and if he falls to day day three then he's a huge value a, a guy that people will will sleep on initially but then you know the the people that are smart and use their last last couple best ball picks on him they will see what what the returns end up looking like let's get on over we got one guy who is set to work out today uh it's jalen darden a little bit of of an unknown obviously he he went to north texas so north texas these days a little bit more known for for basketball uh having uh secured that upset victory last weekend but On the football field, Jalen Darden was totally dominant this past season. The last two seasons were really strong, um, but this year he kind of took a a whole other level. In three fewer games, he had five more targets than he did a year ago, so 118 targets, caught 19 touchdowns, which is preposterous, 74 catches, um, 1,190 yards, which comes out to 10.1 yards per target with a terrible quarterback situation. I might add that North Texas was doing this ridiculous rotation between Jason bean and Austin on both of them stink. Both of them well, are bad jokers vibes on those
1: names too. Man, right. You yeah. know, they're bad quarterbacks.
2: Yeah, bean stinks. Um, but, but, um, yeah, not, not great. And, and, Even with all of that, he persevered and and had crazy, crazy numbers. And, you know, he had 12 touchdowns and 736 yards uh, the previous season and a a pretty high catch rate as well, 76 catches on 113 targets. So he's he's pretty automatic from the slot. Um, I guess there's just going to be questions about the size. Um, You know, is he... Is he, you know, who was listed at five nine one seventy four 174 during his time at North Texas? So I know that's that's small in the 174. You know, if, we, if we're bagging on Devontae Smith, then why aren't we bagging on da- Jalen Darden so hard? Well, he's three inches shorter. So the density um, plays out a, a good four bit differently effort. there. He came in at 5'7,
1: and three fourths, it looks like. So that's not great. Uh, that's fine. He, he's 5'8, nope. five, five, 174. And I'm just seeing these numbers now. He actually did a really good job. Uh, this is probably going to be a 4'5 at the combine, but four four six. Uh, 122 broad jump, 6.663 cone, sub 4 20 yard shuttle. That, that's clean. That's that's a really clean profile I think. So, uh he is probably limited to the slot, but man, he's 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 he incidentally is is good friends with Kylan Hill and uh he also is is one of these high hot motor guys. Like you watch him on the field and you just know no one's going to put more effort into it. Like it's just not happening. And it's not because anyone it's not because anyone's lacking the uh, the will to, is that it's guys like him just have an ability to to tap into something that normal people can't. It's not an issue of wanting it. It's just that other people can't do it. And you know he's he's out there at 110 percent all the time. He's gonna break tackles. He's gonna make he's gonna make ankles twist. And with a profile like this, I really don't see an argument against him uh, going as high as like the third round. Whereas before, I was worried about him going drafted if he you know pulled a Tommy Schuler and ran like a 4.7 or something like that. But that's not what's happening here. He's, he's got a really good profile. Love that. So so j-
2: add Jalen Darden to your radar if he wasn't there already. A really uh, prolific slot guy who, you know, stamped his testing pretty nicely. Um, a couple other pro day numbers to, to get to before we move on to some free agent movement. Um, Dwayne Eskridge is someone that we talked about early on in draft season. Haven't really talked about him much since because we kind of we talked about the, the case for him, you know, crazy productive during his time at Western Michigan, had the, had the amazing senior year, of course, but way advanced in his age and, and relatively small, uh, five eight and a half, 190 is his size, so uh, another guy who probably ends up in the slot, and I think that a lot of people expected a low 4'3", but he clocked in with a four three eight, which is great of course, but it's a pro day so that's probably closer to like a four four two four 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 something like that so that's not quite what the selling point was supposed to be for him so I think that he stays probably in that fifth six range
1: yeah I I don't know what the league is thinking about him exactly for all I know they still prefer him over Darden I think that would be a mistake but he's he also uh, Eskeridge might have also played more around like 180 or something so maybe he came in 10 pounds heavier than he played at. Maybe in that tape we watched, he, he was running like a low 4-3, something like that. But it's, uh, you know, 4-4 four, four is different than a 4-3-3 three, three or a 4-3-5. And in a deep class like this, it's not good to be two and a half years older than the next player, who's the next oldest player, and, uh, you know, merely fast. You know, you gotta be one of the fastest, which mm-hmm. we don't specifically, we don't have like objective reason to believe that at this point. so. I, I agree. He probably belongs in the fifth, sixth, maybe the fourth round range. But uh, if yeah, if he if he goes higher, I'm not gonna like change my rankings over it. I, I worry about a guy like that. If some team reaches for him in like the late second or the third, I'm gonna ignore the draft capital because it's just clearly a bad pick.
2: Yeah. Okay. That that's a really good di- distinction to to point out there. Um, couple other things to to throw out. Penn State had their pro day to day today. No real notable skill guys, but a couple guys who might hear their names in the first round. You, of course, have heard of Micah Parsons, the linebacker, opted out this past season, but crazy good inside linebacking prospect, probably right on that same level as Devin White, in my opinion. Uh, checks in with a sub four, four in the 40, a 439, 6'3, uh, 246. So that ideal build, uh, good numbers everywhere across the board. So Micah Parsons, I think, continued to cement um, that he's a top 10 talent in this class and LB1. And then uh, Jason Owe, someone who is kind of like, Almost Rashawn Gary-esque in the sense that there's no production to point but to. But worse the- yet, even
1: like not 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 that he's necessarily a bad player, but it, the production is worse. It doesn't make I mean, any zero sense. Zero sacks, zero sacks in his last season,
2: and what, what he's it, a, he's an edge he rusher. Is he playing safety?
1: I don't understand. Like, yeah, that's that's bizarre. uh Yeah, I think I think the comparison for for away and I, I saw people saying like he's only been playing football for like five years, and I don't know how much I care about that. Like, wasn't, wasn't Ezekiel Anza only playing for like a couple of years when he came out and like he no one had any trouble understanding why he was good coming out of BYU, you know? Yeah, um, I don't know. It's it's interesting because uh, is an insane athlete. Like, there's, there's no doubt about that. Uh, he, he might be the first of his type, whatever threshold of weight to overall athleticism he's at. Um, I think overall you'd have to compare him, though, to someone like Manny Lawson, who was the defensive end who played across from Mario, Ed, uh, Mario Williams, <clears throat> excuse me, at North Carolina State back uh, 50 years ago or whatever. And Manny Lawson was a guy who didn't put up any production at North Carolina State, uh, but he ran a 4-4 flat or something like that at like six six two forty. 240. And I know Owe is almost 20 pounds heavier, but zero sacks. Kind of makes up the difference for me
2: there. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So he he's like to me like edge rusher Obi Melifanwu from a couple of years ago. That's where like he, he had like yeah he was the yukon guy who just completely ripped the combine apart like just absolutely dominated. I don't know what was in the water at yukon there for a couple of years. It was like him and like Byron Jones or something. But um, yeah he had he had incredible workout metrics, zero football sense whatsoever. You watch the film and he's completely lost all the time. And lo and behold terrible in the NFL. So, uh less responsibility when you're an edge rusher, you got the the prime directive of just going and get the quarterback. We'll see if they can tap into something there, but yeah, the the Athletic don't let the athleticism kind of like overshadow the fact that there's pretty uh damning evidence to the contrary that, that he has he's a slam dunk player by any means.
1: Yeah, if he goes in an appropriate range of the draft, then it's who cares really? It's the, he he could be insanely good. It, the, those kinds of tools are something to think twice about, you know? And like even this is an extreme case and not the basis for which anyone should build their prospect process. But like Tyreek Hill was terrible in college. He was <laughs> so bad in college. He was the second receiver on his own Western Alabama team or wherever the hell he played after he got kicked out of Oklahoma state and Akron. So he, he did literally nothing aside from play running back poorly for Oklahoma state off the bench for a year. Uh, so there's always extreme cases, and and the outliers are more likely to be the guys who have athleticism like his. But there's also a, a healthier precedent than people might guess of insane athletes doing nothing at all in the NFL. Um, it's like you, you can think of a guy like Margus Hunt or you know Moritz Boringer or whatever. Just there's a, there's a bunch of guys who, who did insane- Taylor Mays. Oh God, Taylor Mays. Yeah, that that might be the best one yet. Um, so yeah, there's there's a long history of freak athletes doing nothing at all in the NFL, and I would imagine doing nothing at all in college is a pretty reliable uh, correlating detail for a lot of those.
2: Yeah, exactly. So um, a little bit of, of uh, an eyebrow raised there, even even though the number workout numbers.
1: Were really receiver strong? or tight end or something. That'd there be you go. Yeah, figure it out. Megatron, easy. There it is.
2: Um, all right, let's get, let's move on over to the pro game. So obviously we have, uh, we, we hit most of the big free agent signings, at least in the, in the early window a week ago, but there were a couple guys, as we, as we noted, especially in that second episode of the free agent frenzy series, everyone knows it. everyone loves it. Um, the receiver market was really really cold. At least to get to get things rolling, only a handful of big signings had occurred. Last time we talked, I mean like Curtis Samuel was one of the biggest ones and we love Curtis Samuel of course, but like that shouldn't be like the the total headliner of of a free agent period at wide receiver. Kenny Galladay um, kind of shakes things up. There was, you know, if you take the the orange pill, you go to the Cincinnati Bengals for a one-year prove it deal. Or you take the blue pill and you go to the Giants for four years and 70 mil, which respect for the for signing the the four year 70 million. But man, if you you have Kenny Galladay on your dynasty team or whatever, doesn't feel great that he's tied to Daniel Jones now.
1: It's not great, but I haven't really been able to take a position on Galladay with the Giants yet because I I don't know what the price is going to settle in at. And if people aren't exactly chasing him, I, I might be interested because if you must have a receiver with a trash quarterback, a, a big receiver like Galladay is harder to miss if you're an inaccurate quarterback. And as much as I think Daniel Jones is not good, uh, he he is willing to throw the ball. You know, it's not it's not like a cowardice issue with him. He just probably shouldn't have been drafted so high that a team forced him into a starting role. Like at the very least, he probably should have been like a developmental guy or something. So hopefully they could have made him a little more polished with his reads and his accuracy and his pocket instincts, things like that. Uh, But yeah, Daniel Jones was brutal last year playing hurt. I guess is like a fair excuse. The problem for me is, is like, I didn't even like his rookie year. A lot of people did. A lot of people looked at his rookie year and they saw the fantasy points and they were like, ah, that's right. Fantasy points is quality in real life terms. One to one. And it turned out to not quite be the case. Uh, for the first time ever, it turned out to not be the case. Huh. And it's it's um it's one of those things like we we have to remember we are asking the fantasy question, not the real life one. So if Daniel Jones is cheap enough, and if Kenny Galladay are cheap enough, they might be able to be valuable in fantasy, even if their real life production is kind of trashy. So it's it's something that I'm open to taking Kenny Galladay, and and for his purposes, for his you know, career purposes, it was totally the right call. I can't believe how much that contract was because if Curtis Samuel's going for 11 million a year over three years, I am just flabbergasted that a team paid 72 million over four for Galladay because I like Galladay, like he's, he's a good player, but I, I'm, not con- I'm not convinced that I would prefer him over Curtis Samuel for most offenses that I'm creating. Like some teams that I've built, maybe I want Kenny Galladay because I already got a Curtis Samuel or something like that fair enough but um and and i guess to be fair to the giants like you know it made sense for them to make that contract offer i'm just surprised that they if anything it seemed like nobody else was within like 20 million of their offer so that that was the weird part yeah um but yeah props to Galladay. i mean he, he went out there saying like no i want 18 million and then there was just cold market for like five days or whatever and they got all these reports saying like The Ravens are trying to get him for eight and a half million for one year, and the Bengals said. Ravens are are biffing
2: this, by the way. We'll get to that, but
1: yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean Galladay, he he played poker better than any of the other you know people in free agency so far. So good for him. I'm glad he got paid, and you know that's that's all he could really do to look out for himself, and and for us in fantasy, maybe we hoped he would have gone to a better quarterback, but. He made the right call for himself. So uh, my Austin we'll Mac
2: shares have gone up in smoke. Austin Mac? <laughs> yeah,
1: that's. Uh, I mean, I I like that offense they have. They're going to have to. They're going to have to get rid of Evan Ingram. I think that's pretty much obvious by now. They they can't keep him because they signed Kyle Rudolph too. And to justify that Kenny Galladay contract, you got to take those Ingram targets and give them to Kenny Galladay. So replacing engram was obvious enough i think when they signed galladay and then signing rudolph a guy who doesn't draw targets it's like come on they get they're gonna they're gonna trade engram for like a fifth round pick and and it's because they everybody knows they have to trade him now um but yeah i, I like the, the overall theory of it even so it's like galladay um he, he never drew targets more than like one every uh what would it be like I don't know. He, he was, he was not a guy who drew a ton of targets per snap. Cause he had a long a dot uh, depth of target and maybe they lower his depth of target to give him more intermediate functions than, than the lions did. But I think Darius Slayton's still good. And I think Sterling Shepard's great in the slot. So um, I'm not really convinced golly goes over like 130 targets. So I might need him to fall into something like the sixth round or something like that. And I don't know if he will, but if he does, I, I, I'm i pretty much open to it. I think he's a good player. And um if if they need garbage time to get those numbers up, I think they'll they'll do it more or less.
2: Yeah, they they will have plenty of garbage time in the in the Meadowlands this year, uh, no matter who the home team is. But yeah, Giants also definitely going to have that. Um, let's go, Will Fuller, uh, one year deal down in Miami. Interesting, uh, the the Houston Miami linkage continues. Um, but what. Are your thoughts on this signing adding him to Tua? Do you like Tua a little bit more now because he has like a, a, a obvious downfield speed threat? Do you like the, do you like this less for Fuller? I mean, obviously there's a drop off for, from Deshaun Watson to uh, to Tua. Even if Tua takes a, a big next step, but are you concerned enough about the sample from Tua last year to where this maybe scares you off of Fuller a little bit in redraft?
1: I don't think it'll scare me off. on the Tua grounds it's just going to come down to the price i guess and fuller might get a bit of a discount since people know or at least right now are assuming he won't be playing with deshaun watson who as much as i think will Fuller's is great and, and i do think he's really good and i think the people who still doubt him are just basically petty you know weirdos yep. um he works perfectly with deshaun watson so there's a pretty good chance there is not a second quarterback who works as well with Will Fuller in the entire league. And Tua might be down there at like 25 for all we know, but Tua made a lot of downfield throws at Alabama and he didn't really have that option last year. So as much as I wasn't really on Tua as a prospect, I find his harshest critics to be pretty hyperbolic and, and, uh, just just borderline, like superstitious, like the thing, like saying he got benched for Fitzpatrick two or three times means that he's bad. It's like it doesn't mean that at all. It's it just means that they were trying to go to a like they put into a knowing he was worse than Fitzpatrick because they wanted to, to develop him with the experience. And then they were in some games where they were like, oh, we're in it in the fourth quarter. Maybe we should try to win it with Fitzpatrick because Tua we didn't even think was going to win games like this. We didn't expect to be at this point in the fourth quarter where we could win. So they right, went back to... They were,
2: they were in the playoff hunt. You know, like it, it made yeah. sense to go to Fitzpatrick in that Raiders game, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, so like I was not a Tua fan as a prospect. I kind of just I just declined to really give a take on him. But the, the critics, and I think his critics are a little louder than his supporters at this point. Yep. I don't think they make good cases at all. I think they make... Really consistently awful arguments, actually. <laughs> so I think Fuller's good, even if he's even if he's not going to be nearly as good with a, another quarterback. I still think Will Fuller changes the complexion of the field, and Devontae Parker is going to get a little bit more room to work. Uh, maybe Lynn Bowden can get going. Gasicky probably gets less safety attention now. So if especially if they improve that offensive line a little bit, I actually expect Tua to take a pretty drastic step forward this year.
2: I'd like to see that and and again that that would make the Miami defense or the Miami offense uh Actually dangerous. I, I thought that there was kind of some smoke and mirrors going on with, with, with them last year. And now, now they got some, you know, legit speed to, to uh, go opposite Devontae Parker. And, uh, yeah, th- this could turn out pretty nicely for, for them. I, I like the trajectory of, of the Dolphins right now, especially if, um, if Tua can, can take that uh, proverbial year two step uh, like you mentioned. Um, let's get to a couple uh, running back uh, developments from around the league. Starting things off, I guess from a fantasy perspective, this one might be the most interesting. Damian Williams to Chicago because th- this means things for for both Damian and of course David Montgomery, who I, I think everyone is kind of quick to be like, okay, we we realize that like it, like he was like a the AMC uh, GameStop like pump and dump thing where where it's like yeah he he crushed at the last five games of the season because he had. A super easy schedule, and the Bears were giving him literally all the backfield touches because Cohen was out. Blah blah blah. Um, so it all it all like helped pump up Montgomery's value, but it, in reality, it didn't actually exist. And and uh, so now we we see a situation where. He's at risk of losing some snaps, some touches to a more explosive player who has experience in the Matt Nagy offense. But then you also have Tariq Cohen still there in in the fold. So this Bears backfield goes from being like very stratified, like it's it's Montgomery show. And even though it's not pretty, he's going to get you the production to now. I don't really know if I'm touching this one with a 10 foot pole.
1: Yeah, it's not where I was hoping Damian would go. I think he can play well in some systems. But I don't I don't know if the Bears are it like he, he I'm assuming Damian basically has poor vision or something like that, because he's always been densely built and fast and a good pass catcher. And he never really got going until Kansas City, where, you know, he, he might not see the field well, but what is there to see other than open space? It's just it's an easy it's an easy situation for a running back. And if you're as fast as him, you can capitalize. So if there's space, I think he'll generally capitalize, but I don't expect there to be space at all, really. So I don't I don't really expect much from Damian. I don't think he can challenge Montgomery exactly, but maybe he can. I don't know. I'm, I'm still not exactly high on Montgomery. I think he's pretty clearly the definition of average or, or more or less. Um, I do think they're going to move Tariq Cohen, though. I, I guess I don't have any particular evidence of that, but I just don't know that they really have room for him in that offense because the Nagy offense can make room for a Tyree kill, but that's not what Tariq Cohen is. You know, he's, he's, a, he's like a Tyree kill that's in the backfield for some reason. And he can't really do much. Like he, he can punt return punts a lot and he can fumble a lot. Um, I, I think Tariq Cohen could be good on a different team, but it's not happening there. He, he really has been having a rough go of it in that bears offense. So I wouldn't be surprised if they move him for not really that much. Um, and, and kind of just go with Damian Williams as the second running back instead, but, uh, we'll see. I, I'm not planning to invest in any of them really. So I don't, I don't, don't really know if I'll follow up on this one.
2: Yeah, no, that's, that's totally fair. Um, yeah. So this suddenly becomes just a, a weird, uh, backfield situation there in Chicago. Um, Tevin Coleman going to the jets, um, so someone, I think it was Scott fish had, had a good line on, on Twitter where he basically said the jets are, the jets have been hanging out with zero RB Twitter too much.
1: Um, or I guess Kyle Shanahan, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a tough one for me to figure out cause I, I'm biased. I think Tevin Coleman can actually be pretty good, but he's been getting hurt quite a lot at this point. And I don't even know if we know for sure that he's a similar kind of athlete as he used to be when he was so good at Indiana. And he was good in his first couple of years too for the for the Falcons. Like he was the starter over Devontae Freeman, his rookie year, coming out of training camp, going into week one, and then he got a high ankle sprain. And then Devontae Freeman was the running back one that year, uh, or whatever it was. Like he was a top three running back or whatever. Um, and then Tevin never really got back in the starting lineup there. And then he went to the 49ers and he like he had that big Cardinals game where he had four touchdowns. And then he's got a bunch of high ankle sprains again. So that's just kind of how he is. He kind of just gets his ankles caught in the teeth of the defense. And I don't know if it, it, it could both be wearing on him physically and it could be kind of messing with his mental timing of things. Like if you, it's one thing, if you're, you know, in Indiana era, Tevin Coleman out there, uh, but now it's like you're you're tevin coleman in 2021 who remembers that he's had like four high ankle sprains and it probably makes you think when you're running uh what, what uh, is that guy gonna hit my ankle you know like things like yeah. that just like a little flicker of of awareness of where your ankle is whereas in the past maybe he was only just you know seeing red and he's got the horse blinders on and he's just charging at the end zone like i don't know if he's the same guy so we'll see i, th- I think he has the the talent at least coming out of the college he did but uh I, I don't know if it's realistic to expect a whole lot from him, uh, even if his health is granted, which we probably can't assume. But those yeah. other running backs are terrible.
2: They they are terrible. So there there is that. But I think this also just doesn't close the door on the Jets going after a running back. Maybe well, it doesn't in the, affect the,
1: anything for the yeah. draft.
2: No? So uh, I, I think that it any, might make
1: more certain that they do draft one.
2: Yeah, I think that that's probably the, the actual uh, good takeaway to have uh, when it comes to Coleman to the Jets. Uh, I want to get to one more guy um, at the running back position, Mike Davis, obviously, admirably, Filled in for Christian McCaffrey a lot last season. I, I would say that uh, his fantasy investors, the guy that scooped him on the waiver wire, or used him as their replacement for, for Christian McCaffrey, were overall pretty pleased with the returns. Uh, you know, like all things considered, getting a guy like that who, you know, had washed out at, at a couple different spots, comes in and, and gives you viable RB2 production for a lot of the season. Good on him. And the Jet and the Falcons, of course, you know, the girly situation, the girly experiment didn't really work out. And of course, guys like Brian Hill, Edo Smith, just they're not it. So I think Mike Davis made some sense. But I think it's it's a cousin to the the Tevin Coleman signing where I think the Falcons could also attack running back in the draft, too.
1: Yeah. So Mike Davis is kind of funny because he's another one of these cases where people are struggling to separate fantasy production from real life value. Because he wasn't good last year. He got a lot of catches and he got a lot of usage, which was good for fantasy. And he was he was a boon to pretty much everybody that that had him last year. But he wasn't good. He wasn't more productive than even like Rodney Smith was. So he you know, if he if he ends up in the same scenario with Atlanta where he's getting all this usage, then yeah, he's gonna be really good for fantasy just because not many running backs get, you know, four or five catches a game every week in 20 carries or upwards of 20 carries anyway. So we, we know that offense is going to run a bunch. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like though. Uh, they might look a lot like the Tennessee offense in that they use a lot of two and three tight ends, but they're not going to have a Derrick Henry. They're not going to have necessarily, uh, you know, I, guess, I still think they want fields or Lance. I don't think they want Zach Wilson. Um, but absent that Matt Ryan is not a t- Ryan Tannehill or Marcus Mariota. Uh, they obviously have no. Um, well, they have Julio, but um, it's it's just a it's a different offense. It's like the the Titans didn't have the Ridley either. You know, it's like the second pass catcher was uh, Corey Davis. So there's a lot that has to change there, and I don't know if if it's going to be like we have a 25 carry running back every week offense. It might look quite a bit different than it did in Tennessee, um, and I, I don't know which I don't know which sort of approach would even be better for Davis. I guess we want pass attempts so he can get targets like he did in Carolina last year. Um, but I think that he's, he's pretty easily matched by a lot of rookies. Uh, it is a shallow class though. So I guess it's like, it's, they're not signing anyone else. So maybe Davis is kind of worth reaching for in drafts, but I'm, I'm kind of terrified to see what his price tag is looking like these days. I haven't, I haven't pulled up any drafts yet, but I can imagine people taking him as high as like the fifth round. And that doesn't sound right. Cause like even if they only draft like a Ramondre Stevenson or something, it's like that's enough for me to put Davis back in like the eighth or ninth round, you know?
2: Yeah, exactly. So so definitely don't overspend on, on Mike Davis. There, there's they're just probably another shoe that's going to drop it in Atlanta. So yeah, it won't be quite the same. Um I, I think that he could still maybe end up being flex viable for fantasy purposes. But yeah, like he, he, should, he be. should be. He should be. Unless they get
1: like ETN or Harris, he should be flex viable. Yeah, but it remains that, to be seen whether he's a flex price or if he's like a, you know, running back 20 price or something like that. Exactly. So keep that
2: perspective in mind. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Rotowire NFL podcast. We, of course, will be back next week with more pro day stuff, more free agent stuff uh, as we get closer and closer to the upcoming NFL draft. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening.